The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the TakeCast. My name is Davis Maddock. You guys can find me on Twitter at Davis Maddock. In this episode of the show, I'm joined by Eric Eager from Sumer Sports. We just kind of have a wide-ranging conversation about the Kansas City Chiefs, the Detroit Lions 2023 NFL Draft, Brock Purdy and Kyle Shanahan, analytics around the NFL, wide receiver analytics and how we can adjust to those in gambling and in fantasy. I really enjoy talking to Eric. I think he is a supreme ball knower. Uh, I really enjoy all of his work on Sumer Sports, so I think that you guys should all check that out. If you want to support this program, you can subscribe to our Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash takecast. You can always leave a rating or review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can just tell a friend about the show. You really cannot beat word of mouth, and uh, now let's go ahead and get into the episode. All right, everyone, welcoming into the program, Eric Eager from Sumer Sports. Very excited to have him on the program, check in with him at least once a year or so. Uh, our Chiefs won the Super Bowl. We haven't done we haven't not done a show since Patrick Mahomes took Sky Moore, Kadarius Tony, Justin Watson, and, and Marquez Valdez-Scantling and turned that group of guys into Super Bowl champions. Eric, how are you doing, man? How's the offseason treating you? I'm doing great. Yeah, it was so fun this year, of course, because, you know, like, you know, with, with Kansas City winning with Pat on the rookie deal, right? Like he, that's just kind of like everybody kind of has that edge, right? But then when you, when you look at kind of the, um, you know, being the first team to win one on, on, you know, with the quarterback, um, you know, sort of making more than 13, 14% of the cap, that means that the guys like Brett Beach and the guys like Andy Reid, um, you know, Steve Spagnolo playing rookies, uh, in his defense uh, significantly um, for the really first time in the Chiefs era, like it, it caused everybody to kind of change what their methods were and it left a lot less room for slack. And even then uh, they had to grind out kind of a, a three point win against a really, really good Eagles team. Um, so it, it, that one felt kind of special and it felt kind of like a, a, a confirmation of some of the priors. I think a lot of the smart people had um, when they traded Tyree kill uh, amidst a lot of like the the consternation of losing one of the, the league's great players there I mean there was a lot of consternation about that uh I mean I mean Pat said it himself at at the Super Bowl parade right we we won in a rebuilding year which is like actually true you know it was definitely not a year that was viewed as as Veach in the front office going all in and I, to be honest, I think that the two groups of people who should feel most deflated by that championship are the Bills for an office, but particularly the Bengals for an office, because I've been, I've been, this is like my big talking point, but the Bengals are about to owe best case scenario, 
what, $90 million to Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Joe Burrow per season in a roughly $175 million salary cap. Like that is, um, I, I do not envy the Bengals front office trying to make that work. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be even more, right? I think that the salary cap is going to be a little higher, probably closer to 240 by the time all those deals sort of creep up. But you're looking at Burroughs probably 55 million, Chase is probably 30, uh, and Higgins is another 25. So you're looking at, um, you know, you're looking at 110, <laughs> which which is which is which is crazy. And you know, Duke Tobin. It's funny because when we talk about front offices and kind of like what their approaches are, um, these guys like to put trophies on their own mantle. And when I mean that, like I I think you know, Les Snead re-signed Jared Goff a year before he really had to. Um, because he took a real, you know, stuck his neck out there and traded for him uh, with the top pick. Um, you know, uh, Duke Tobin's like, look, like you can't, you can't have T Higgins. Like we drafted him and we're amazing, blah, blah, blah. And it's like that contract that he gives to T Higgins is kind of a, a trophy on his trophy case, or, you know, just along with Chase and, and Burrow. And that we know that that's ultimately not great because we know that the league is a, um, you know, the league is a, a, uh, kind of a weak link system league other than quarterback. And so, um, you know, I think that it, it, it's going to get tough. It's going to get really fair, I think, for, uh, for the other teams uh, in the AFC. I mean, I would honestly, I, I would have a hard time not paying T Higgins. I, I would have had a very hard time if I was Brett Beach doing the deal, the Tyreek deal, even getting all that value back, not having to pay a 29, 30 year old wide receiver. Um, you know, Ty Tyreek did feel so singular. And so he, I still, I mean, after watching Kadarius Tony, Kadarius Tony is just like dime store Tyreek Hill. And I mean, I clearly think that was sort of their, I think that was their thought, obviously, in trading the third round pick to acquire him. It'll be really interesting to see what they end up doing with Tony contractually if they, I mean, are they just going to treat Tony like a, 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 you know, fancy Dexter McCluster? Is he going to play? 40% of the snaps. I mean, he played five snaps in the Super Bowl, right? They're, you're not saving him for anything else at that point. Like, he, he theoretically, he is their most talented wide receiver, but they they seem to not trust him to be on the field really at all. Yeah, it, it's funny because the, I think that I don't know who's going to be the, the number one option for them. I don't think that they – I think that they can trust Tony a little bit, but this is part of, like, Brett Beach's deal, right, with DeAndre Baker – uh, Emmanuel Agba, um, Cam Irving, like the guy just loves picking up like first round picks that like were, were not good for another team. And, and I think this is just another one to me, the, the best part of the chiefs receiving core last year was the fact that they all, I, I, I say this like in a very positive way, but they all had kind of like low self-esteem or low self-opinion. Like, you know, Valdez Scantling goes for one sixteen in the, in the conference title game and gets one target in the Super Bowl. And like no right. one, like no one's complaining. Um, you know, Juju was on pace for being like a 1,200 yard receiver, and then like in the second half of the season, like he basically averaged like 30, 40 yards a game, and there was no complaining. Um, you know, other than Kelsey, like there's really no one that they have to have to have to feed the ball every week, and it just ends up being a matchups thing. And against the Bengals, they put a small, t uh, you know, Mike Hilton on Valdez Scantling, and that worked. And plus, there was injuries, so he had to play some of the Juju role. And then in the Super Bowl, like he was just there to run off the defense. I think it's going to be similar stuff. I think, you know, Tony might be a rich man's DeAnthony Thomas or a rich man's McCole Hardman, or he might be, he might be the number one receiver. To me, I, when I look at like the data, 
and, and you know, looking at clinging a little bit to my priors. I think Sky Moore is the one that everybody has to kind of you know think about a little bit. Um, I know he's a little small, but you know, when you when he got the football last year, he was pretty good. And he was blocked off a little bit by Juju and by Hardman at times. But to me, I think that one's the real, you know, the, the guy that could be the number one for them. But I don't think they're even going to need necessarily a one. I think it's going to oscillate year, year, week to week. It's kind of interesting you say that about Sky, because my experience as someone who drafted him a bunch in fantasy and was just sort of a, a frustrated Chiefs fan, nothing was more grating than the sky more end around attempts where he would immediately <laughs> trip or run into his blocker or whatever. But I do, I guess I suppose that he was a little bit more effective as a wide receiver. The thing you would worry about um, historically speaking with rookie wide receivers, especially because rookie wide receivers have, I mean, in the last five years, the context has changed so much because the rookie contract is so valuable. There's no more red shirting rookie wide receivers, right? Like Justin Jefferson played two games behind Ola BC Johnson. That, that doesn't really happen anymore. Um, the thing you'd be worried about is, you know, sky is and, and Reed and these guys know these guys better and sky's on a team trying to win a championship and he's, you know, losing snaps to Justin Watson and McCall Hardman, who they I was kind of surprised they did not retain him at, at, you know, what one year, six and a half million dollars or whatever the jets gave him. Like I thought they would just resign him for that. Yeah, for sure. It was one of those situations where they very clearly, yeah, it, it was with Hardman. And I think with also Juan Thornhill, they, you know, they like to offer these guys deals kind of in that October, November, December months. And in many cases, it sort of insults the agents so much that they are like, when, when the market turns back around, it ends up not being um, something that they're even willing to do. Now, we've seen it at least a little bit like Demarcus Robinson, when there was no market for him in free agency, he did come back on like that veteran minimum deal. But for a lot of guys, especially I would say guys that are, are, are picked higher, like Thornhill, like Thornhill signed a deal that I think the Chiefs probably would have gone with. Um, had, but he thought his market would be bigger and he was wrong. Uh, I think Hardman was even more like I had people within the league tell me they thought Hardman was a $10 million receiver. So like, I, I just think that that was, th those were the fundamentals, um, you know, that, that they were building off of. And then there were two sort of proud uh, maybe to come back to Kansas city on that. Um, you know, like I, I do think that it, it is interesting because you talk about rookie wide receivers and, it, and it's a really good point. I mean, the league has trended so much towards like, five guys playing about uh, all the snaps um right. you know, 20 30 years ago it was like jake reed chris carter and then randy moss comes in and and, and takes jake reed's spot right <laughs> like and right. he was two wide receivers that were expected to do everything they were expected to beat all kinds of coverage they were expected to play on the outside and then a little guy would come in on third down nowadays you know the chiefs exemplify this better than anybody they all like piece together and money ball the wide receiver position and so guys second that's why second round picks do so well at wide receiver relative to other positions because they only have to be like uh, they only have to be half a player really they only have to do half the things well they only have to do what they're good at right they're yep. they, i mean unless you are right i mean if you are justin jefferson cd lamb you know but that jamar chase then you get to do everything but yeah i mean skype well although uh, I think watching Sky Moore do punt returns like actually took years <laughs> off my life. Like, uh, I mean, just thank God that uh, there's someone else to do that. I, I could not have taken Sky Moore returning a punt in the Super Bowl. I, I think it would have killed me. All right, we, we got to talk about 
our lions though uh the the jameer gibbs nonsense and honestly i i'm very curious your thoughts on their decision with this roster and just that how weak the nfc is what do you make of their decision to um keep writing with jared goff as opposed to i mean certainly they could have acquired the services of will levis who i i mean i don't think anyone was that excited i i would have been very excited if they were the team that ended up with anthony richardson though yeah, and I think that they probably would have taken him at six had he fallen there. I think that they believed that it was a bridge too far to move up. Um, it, it's funny, though. Like, you think about what they ended up getting at 12 and 18 and the trade back. Like, trading up for Richardson would have been much better than that. But, um, no, it, it's interesting. And it's very much – I, I was talking over this with some people, uh, you know, my, my team at Sumer, like, we were kind of trying to – rank the nfc quarterbacks and it's desolate like it's it's um i understand what the lions are trying to do and and frankly you know when we think about roster building you know getting a a division title on the on the board is probably what they're what they're charged with doing and that's you know when we evaluate roster building decisions i think sometimes you know us on the outside like we 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 always want to do like this sort of game theory optimal thing, which in my opinion is obviously right over time. And you look at teams with resources like the Eagles and, and Ravens and stuff like that, they, they try to do that all the time. Um, but for a team like the Lions that hasn't won a division since 1993, uh, the NFC Central back then, like I just think that they're they're trying to get two guys that fill holes right away to help them win that division this year in a bad NFC and an even worse NFC North. And so through that lens, I think it does help them this year. Um, but long-term, like Ben Johnson becomes a head coach in 2024, like Jared Goff is going to do the predictable thing. And so I, I, you know, Hendon Hooker is an older guy. Uh, I don't particularly see him as a great prospect. So I, I, from a long-term perspective, it doesn't make a ton of sense, but from a short-term to win the division perspective, yeah, I, I, I understand what they're doing from, a, uh, from the draft perspective. And I mean, I, we, we, uh, we, I saw this take from a couple spots where it's like, if you, uh, if you just look at the guys they took and the positions they fill in <laughs> and you didn't know the rounds they took them, it actually looks all right. It's just that at 12 and 18, they happen to get the positions backward. I, I think most surprising to me was that at 18, that they didn't select any of those wide receivers, because even, even if you say Jamison Williams is going to get right back on the developmental curve that he should have been on as a first round pick that they traded up for where he, you know, is way better in year two and he's a, a great deep threat. It's, it's still a team that doesn't really have a third wide receiver. And I mean, that that's one of the, I think one, one thing that has even permeated itself into um, mainstream football consciousness, like you could, you could see this on, on get up on ESPN or whatever is that, wide receiver skill is really going to dictate quarterback performance that having a lot of talented guys who can get open consistently is going to benefit every quarterback. And especially when your quarterback is Jared Goff, or you're trying to create a bridge to a rookie or a young guy, you know, asking that guy to play with Josh Reynolds and, and uh, Marvin Jones jr. And his, I don't know, he's got to be like 33, 34 years old. Uh, I Cleef Raymond, Cleef Raymond might have even been one of the guys who got suspended with the gambling stuff. I, I don't even remember, but I, I was very surprised to not see them add a meaningful wide receiver in the draft with the Jameson suspension. Well, and the, and the whole, um, the wide receiver depth thing is huge, right? Because, you know, you want to, I, I think about this, like, 
there was a really good book by uh, uh, Joe Prado, like uh, Spaced Out in Basketball, where they're talking about how, you know, the current the current basketball teams now, they don't necessarily make their big man do the big man stuff and their either smallest guy do the point guard stuff. They they have to, but they, but they do, there's a predefined set of things that have to happen. And, and as long as you're starting five and you're finishing five can all do those things, then you're okay. And I think the wide receiver is important too. Like you need, and this is part of what was hurting the Chiefs offense when, when teams are running too high and they had to make Tyree Kill run short was that they had no Marquez Valdez scaling to sort of like, Right. make the safeties, you know, respect. And so when the Lions missed players last year, right? So you look at, and they, they started out amazingly 38 points again, or sorry, 35 points against the Eagles, 36 against the Commanders, 24 against the Vikings, 45 against the Seahawks. But then you had zero against New England, six against Dallas. Like those were the games where Amon Ross St. Brown was like hurt slash banged up, right? And, and right. And when he, you know, when when he can't play, and then your receivers are like Brock Wright, you know, at, at the time it was Hawkinson, and then you, you just don't fill in enough of the of the things that receivers need to do to to have success. And then once Amon Ross St. Brown came back into the mix and was healthy, 31 against Chicago, 31 against the Giants, 25 against the Bills, 40 against the Jags, 34 against the Vikings, the Jets. Defense is quite good, but 20 against the Jets, 23 against the Panthers, 41 against the Bears, and 20 against the Packers. Like that, the Amon Ross St. Brown like was the the linchpin, but it was more of like when he's gone, like what is any what can anybody else replace his traits? And I, I think getting like Jackson Smith the Jigba being on the board, Jordan Addison being on the board, like whatever your pick was, would have been better than taking a linebacker there. It it really would have been. And I mean, I thought, I thought that. <laughs> Um, Quentin Johnston was the guy who made the most sense for them because he and Amon Ross St. Brown shouldn't overlap at all. Like they do totally different things. They want to operate in different parts of the field. And I don't know the, the, the very inauspicious start to the career for Jamison Williams. A lot of like what the fantasy research has found is that it doesn't necessarily matter what the mitigating circumstances are, why you miss time when you're a rookie injury suspension, you play on a good team and there's no room for you, just whatever it is, it tends to to widen that range of outcomes moving on. So like I I think Jameson Williams is still gonna be good and I expect him to contribute as soon as this year, but just missing that developmental time at like a really critical age for like, I mean, even stuff as nitty-gritty as like neuroplasticity and like, you know, uh facing NFL coverages as a full-time player, you're you're gonna get more benefits from doing that younger and i want to see the lions succeed like the our Lions stuff last year was so fun and i hate yeah. the packers and i absolutely hate the packers so like I, I i don't i don't want to see a situation where all three of these other teams in the division mess around and the packers with jordan love like win nine games and end up winning the division because everyone else was kind of just piddling around yeah you, you can see that though right like yes um, you know i i feel like um that that is probably the best bet in the division. Uh, Minnesota, I just don't think has the depth defensively. Although they could be very good on offense, I don't really see much of a other than Kirk Cousins like ceiling. I don't really see a a, a, a weakness on that offense. Um, the Bears, I think people are are crowning Justin Fields way too quickly. Uh, and, and then obviously, you know, the Packers. The the thing with them, of course, is like, like last year everybody said, oh, that defense is going to be great um, because of who they drafted and 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 stuff, but. I, I always think that, that that's sort of a year 
early, right? And so you're getting that year early, or you're getting that next year on on Quay Walker and Devontae Wyatt and and so on. So that yeah, it is weird. But like if the Lions don't take care of business, I do think the Packers have an opening there. And so the Lions, you know, it, it's it's incumbent on, in, mostly on Ben Johnson to be able to scheme up good offense, which you know I don't it is not necessarily stable. You know, there there are only a few guys who are able to sort of buoy that level of quarterback for for an extended period of time it's a it's a hard job and it's a hard job uh and it becomes consecutively harder year over year and game after game right when i mean we we literally saw jared goff do this with the los angeles rams and sean McVay, right to play to a super bowl caliber level but then every year it got harder and McVay's job became more uh more intricate and more difficult because <laughs> uh goff is uh you know, I mean, I think Goff got a little bit unfairly maligned at the end of his tenure with the Rams, and obviously it became even easier to uh, malign him when the Rams won the Super Bowl with a good quarterback, but certainly not. I mean, I don't think anyone would argue Matthew Stafford is like. Uh, Matthew Stafford was never at any point considered one of the five best quarterbacks in the NFL, I don't think, right? No, he was just different. It was just different enough that that it worked, and they got luck. Like, I, you know, no, I'm the yeah, one with got, the Rams I'm the one with the Rams planning video. It's funny. I was at Sloan in the in March of 2020, 2022, and a few people came up to me at the bar at the um at the hotel and were like, "Hey, I love that video." I'm like, "Yeah, I was wrong." You're like, "No, you were right." Like, it's just stuff happens, right? You you sometimes you know uh, the idiot at the blackjack table hits on 17 and gets a four sometimes, you know. So uh, that it, ultimately, it's sort of what what happened in Los Angeles was so, what was supposed to happen, but they won a Super Bowl along the way. And I think Stafford provided kind of like a different principal component than, than Goff did. I mean, how many guys have both led the NFL in interceptions and won a Super Bowl? I mean, I would guess, I mean, maybe, maybe in like, you know, the seventies or whatever, that was more <laughs> common, but that is so antithetical to how teams play now, especially with, um, you know, uh, Pass rate over expectation has never been higher. Teams have never passed more frequently, but yards per attempt and average depth of throw across the league is at like a decade low because of this too high safety stuff. Like turning the ball over, it's like a real death knell right now. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's what makes football fun. And, and, you know, I think to your point, I think golf was golf was injured a little bit at the end of NLA too. And then I think, as you said, I think it's like a mentally taxing job to carry your quarterback that much. And, you know, I think, I think even Sean McVay sort of got annoyed with that being, you know, his everyday, his everyday cross to bear, um, even though uh, the results were always effective. I mean, Garrett Goff has engineered top 10, top five offenses in the NFL consistently. It's just that I think the ball knowers don't really believe he's that good. And, you know, I'm inclined to believe them to a certain extent. Okay. Speaking of uh, uh, coaches carrying their quarterbacks and that being their cross to bear, what would you do if you were Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch with the 49ers right now with, with all the assets you gave up for Trey Lance and still, I mean, Trey Lance is, is actually, I don't even believe he's turned 23 yet. I think he turns 23 uh, closer to the start of the season uh, going all the way back to his high school days. Uh, he's got less than a thousand recorded pass attempts high school college nfl he's 23 years old he's got less than a thousand recorded uh pass attempts i mean what what do you do in the case of trey lance yeah well 
uh, I think you hold them until until you get kind of what happened in Minnesota in 2016 or what happened in Miami in 2017. Like if there's an injury to a quarterback in the preseason, like then you have a, a really, really valuable asset. No one would have paid Sam, uh, a first round pick for Sam Bradford in the off season of 2016. But on the eve of the season, when the Vikings were like on the, the, the brink of starting Sean Hill, you know, that, that, that certainly helps. I, I, you know, given how inexpensive he Purdy and, and, you know, Darnold are like, I don't, I don't see like a reason to be super eager to move on any of them until there was a, a an offer that was too good to, you know, too, too good to pass up. Um, you know, it, it's, it's funny because we, we, you just talked about the lions, which I, I totally get, like you look at their um, draft picks and you don't think about order. It's a fine group. You know, I, I think if you look at the San Francisco 49ers, like quarterback room and you don't consider like order and and if you just consider current investment it's fine it's just that we all want kind of we we all we all view these draft picks and these decisions vis-a-vis the the impact of the player or the results with respect to the player and not necessarily whether or not it gets you closer to winning i think this quarterback room for the 49ers gets you closer to winning, right? If Lance, if Lance comes out and hits on his ceiling, you're an amazing football team. You're a favorite in the NFC by a mile. If he doesn't, Brock Purdy's like sort of more than capable once he comes back from, from an injury uh, of being, you know, a, a solid player there. And then, you know, Sam Darnold can also be a, a player who, uh, you know, I, I think, I think the world of Shanahan. So I think he could at least make him okay. Well, I mean, I think Shanahan has demonstrated evidence that he can make almost anyone okay, right? I mean, Nick Mullins and, and C.J. Beathard and all, all kinds of guys have played okay. I mean, I, I guess the thing that seems most, um, like, I, I feel like I'm the one taking crazy pills or whatever with the whole Trey Lance situation is that nothing has fundamentally changed from the thing that led them to draft Trey Lance over Mac Jones in the first place, right? Because it was recorded, mm-hmm. it was reported that Mac Jones was kind of who Kyle Shanahan wanted. But the same thing has continued to happen to the 49ers, which is they get into these high leverage spots and scheme can maybe take you 90% of the way. But when you're facing down the barrel of yep. Jalen Hurts and Patrick Mahomes or whoever, you kind of need your quarterback to be the straw that stirs the drink and not the drink himself, right? And can can Purdy or Sam Darnold be the straw? I, I don't think so. I can still squint and see a world in which this hyper-athletic, crazy, talented Trey Lance guy, even if he maybe delivers the offense in a more unorthodox way than the other two guys, you could still see him being a difference maker in a way. I, I mean, look, I, I am not a ball knower, Eric. I, I try to know <laughs> ball a little bit, but as as a partial ball knower... Brock Purdy to me looks like the most average ass Shanahan <laughs> quarterback I have ever seen. I mean, I just I don't I do not get the 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 worldwide fascination with Brock. Well, Purdy. you want to you want to know a really funny story about Brock Purdy? So I agree with you, and I, I personally I think you know ball. Um, but the funniest story about Brock Purdy was his prep. So when you look at like his PFF grade, his production, and all that stuff at Iowa State, like. It got worse over time. He, got, he, he was considered a, like a Heisman candidate, like maybe first round pick when he was a, a true freshman at Iowa State. And it just got worse, which, by the way, like 
we've seen that happen. I mean, Herbert was better as a sophomore than he was as a senior at Oregon. Um, we, we've seen that a number of times in, in sort of different situations with quarterbacks. Um, I think that the, I think that the biggest, you know, to me, what was really funny was when Purdy was preparing for the draft, he he prepared with my friend and, and also an Iowa State quarterback, Sage Rosenfels. And Sage was basically like, look, man, you're not that good. So let me just teach you. Because Sage played for Kyle Shanahan in Houston. Um, he played for Gary Kubiak a, a few times as well. And so he knows that like boot action offense like super well. And it was the only right. one. He was really super successful. So he taught Brock Purdy, like all of the terminology, all of like, if if Brock would have gotten drafted by like a spread offense or some other like normal offense, I think it probably wouldn't have even made the team, but because he had like the answers to the test before he joined the Niners, it was like this perfect marriage of like, you know, scheme and quarterback, which is awesome in like a one-year sample or whatever, where, you know, like that's like, you know, sort of, you know, looking up the girl you're dating on Facebook, like before or whatever, and having some of the, knowing what she likes and stuff. But obviously like that wanes over time. Right. And, and you can't like the, eventually you, you sort of have to like have your own personality. And I, I think for Purdy, like he's going to come up against that and, 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 you know, add to that, the injury, uh, the physical issues with that injury. But it, it's funny that Purdy kind of like hacked the system for one year. Um, I don't see him doing much of that, uh, you know, future career. Okay. Well, I mean, first off, I have to apologize to everyone who listens to my multiple podcasts because I, Eric, I'm going to tell this, this Sage Rosenfeld's Brock Purdy anecdote on like every show I do for the next two months, because uh, solving, solving the 49ers quarterback riddle is actually like pretty key to fantasy football this year. Cause both the guys are so cheap. And uh, I, I mean, I don't know how much fantasy you play, but Quarterbacks are like the most expensive they've ever been in drafts. Like Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurts and Josh Allen are going like in the top 15 picks pretty routinely. So finding uh, cheaper quarterbacks who can run a little bit, which obviously would be Trey Lance is, uh, is pretty key to the situation that, that makes me that to what that anecdote though also makes a lot of sense. Why when Shanahan is talking to the media about Purdy, it is always so glowing it is just always like the way he talks about brock purdy is like the way a proud parent talks about their star child or whatever 100 percent. and even like you think about it, it it's funny because you know my current job at sumer like my boss is thomas dimitrov who like you know w thomas's favorite thing when we talk is like talking about his old teams and like i don't know i watch a lot of old football i watch you know read a lot of books about football and the fact that like all these people want is somebody who's conversant in their language. Right. And yeah. so it, you know, it makes a lot of sense. Now the, the issue is, is like, that is great to get you in the door. And, but I just don't know if it's necessarily a sustainable, um, if it's necessarily a sustainable means of production, you know what I'm saying? Well, I mean, a hundred percent, right. Because it does, it would make a seventh round rookie more able to pick up because, because obviously a huge, uh, hurdle that a lot of these young quarterbacks have is they are uh, switching languages. They're switching play calls. Routes are called different things. Audibles are called different things. I mean, we got we got the story last year of Russell Wilson um, calling Seahawks audibles instead of the ones that Nathaniel Hackett had told him just because he was like, I mean, I don't know, maybe maybe Russell Wilson was just getting lazy at the end of the year. But it is uh, if you're if you are not someone who's like super familiar in like uh, how offenses are structured, that would seem insane. 
but that that is like a, a historically big thing in football is that the different offenses have a different language in general yeah and it makes like I, i'm not a huge kirk cousins fan but it makes like him with n offensive coordinators and n seasons seem more impressive you know than than somebody you know like that ha- that's had the same terminology their whole career um because i do think that and it's one of the reasons why I'm really happy the third quarterback rule is back, you know, because when you look at teams that played in Super Bowls at the beginning of the millennium, right, you had, you know, Rich Gannon was a third round or a fourth round pick who was a third stringer for a number of years. Brad Johnson, same thing. Kurt Warner, same thing. Jake DeLome, same thing. Um, Matt Hasselbeck, you know, all this kind of stuff, you know, giving giving teams the incentive to sign a quarterback on the active roster because they can't be poached when, you know, some BS happens um, on another team, just get them to learn the offense, get them to learn the terminology and, and, and all of that to me is, is so immense. Um, like you're just, if you don't have that, you're just, and, and the rookie weight skill has hurt that as well. I think that's a bigger contributor than the third quarterback rule, but like you're never going to get the Tony Romo's anymore because there's just really no incentive. You know, it, you just go back to the, you go back and buy another one with the first pick and it's really cheap. So, um, you know, yeah, that's a one part of football where I think like the, the, where the separation between the truly elite quarterbacks and like the so-so guys um, from a truly on the field value perspective has widened because you just do not get the time to, to, to mature in the offense that you used to. So do you think that this third quarterback rule will work the way you are, you are hoping, which is that teams are more incentivized to take, you know, toolsy developmental guys, keep them on the roster for three, four years, have them, you know, be totally conversant in the offense, you know, know, know all the, everything inside the building. Cause like, sometimes you you might have to rely on your backup quarterback, right? Like your backup quarterback is like a somewhat important position and being dead at backup quarterback. I mean, the Dallas Cowboys know this, right? Being dead, a backup quarterback uh, is, is really not optimal, but like with a third guy, he can have less uh, theoretical responsibility and his, his job could just be purely to learn. For sure. I I'm, I'm hoping so. I, I know that, you know, before 2011, so the, the, the CBA that's largely in place now, they updated a little bit in 2020. Um, most teams carried a third quarterback and, you know, that guy would wear a uniform, but he'd be inactive. And then they, then they, in 2011, they just said, well, that player's active, active. And almost every team did like the football, the football guy thing, which is to address another corner and and have him play vice on special teams and gunner on special teams and it's like and because you don't you, like it's the it's a fat tail thing like you normally don't have to play a third quarterback and you, if you do you're pretty screwed anyway so teams are like you know i think somewhat rationally although you know i would say the you know there's the behavioral eco- economics thing where like it's like you know you're you're also not thinking about viability and and um, and, and probability of ruin, uh, if you're just thinking about the average, but now, you know, you saw like, for example, San Francisco in 2012, I believe they signed Josh Johnson to practice and to be there basically practice, you know, the, the, the scout team quarterback, they would sign him on Tuesday. They'd practice him till Saturday. They cut him. They'd elevate a corner from the practice squad to have, to have him play gunner. And they did that for like six straight weeks until, the waiver rules were like so they like, they bear that like, when I saw that way on the on the transact transactions page I'm like okay these teams really don't value these players they they're not bringing Josh Johnson 
in to like develop him or to like have him be in a place where, where he can play. Um, they're having him just like fulfill a job. And, and I think that hopefully this gives them the incentive to have that player be a developmental player. I mean, I can think of several teams where it, I, I, it could be useful. Um, I mean, uh, the, the Cowboys are the, the first one that comes to mind where they've had Cooper Rush in the building forever. I mean, one, because Jerry likes him uh, interpersonally for, for whatever reason, but they, I, Dak has spent, I think Dak has been injured uh, each of the last three seasons, like having a guy there. Uh, I mean, I, the, the key use of this rule, I think is for a lot of, actually a lot of the guys who are kind of playing in like the XFL, and the spring leagues, you know, uh, Jordan Ta'amu or stuff like guys where they have the physical gifts and they, uh, you know, did so well in college with the physical gifts, but maybe weren't playing in a real pro style offense or, um, you know, just like need to work on accuracy or whatever. Like, I think you could turn some of those guys into real NFL quarterbacks o- over a long enough timeline. Uh, but none of those, no, I mean, none of those teams, uh, like no team has done that in the last five years, really. Or, I mean, since 2011, really. I mean, you look at the starting quarterbacks in the NFL and like Kirk Cousins, that was a very kind of woke move by Washington to <laughs> randomly. That was, to that, take, that was a woke move, yeah. Yeah, to, to take two guys and like, and and kind of and ultimately like that draft was successful for them let's be honest and and uh you know seattle when they signed matt flynn signed you know russell wilson that was really sharp and and the eagles with hurts and and you know the cowboys with Dak. like all those were really you know you know they those worked out but i think back to you know when the the cowboys they had drew bledsoe and then they had drew henson <laughs> funny and then they took this random guy from like a, a directional Illinois school named Tony Romo. And the reason you stash those guys is very apparent. Like if you, the cost of tanking 20 years ago was so much more immense because if you, if you tanked for the first pick, you also had to pay that guy $50 million in the case of Sam Bradford. And so teams would right. hedge by not, by not doing, by, by having guys like Romo in the, in the event that those guys did well. And then, you know, the other part about this is like the current the current contracts. So when, when Aaron Rodgers was drafted by Green Bay in 05, his contract was five years, 7 million. So when he sat three years and then showed them promise, he still had a year of team control on a very small wage, which is why he signed kind of a middle of the pack deal. Once they, they knew he was pretty good. Jordan Love, of course, like had no such, you know, the, the Packers had no such control because his fifth year option was actually fairly expensive. So it, it's it, the the ec- economics of the league, I don't think make it a direct comparison to still say, oh, they're going to stash quarterbacks because they're, they're, it's so cheap to just go and get that elite, like blue chip player in the top of the draft. But I, I hope it's at least like a sign that they'll at least try and and, and see if that'll work. Yeah, I mean, I think we saw with the Arizona Cardinals, you know, the the penalty of missing on a first round quarterback and then just running it back again is far lower than uh, than it used to be. And funny enough, the Arizona Cardinals might be back in the exact same situation this upcoming year where they're projected to be the worst team in the NFL. Not only do they have their own pick, but they also have the Houston Texans pick who might be the other worst team in the NFL. They might be on the hook. Uh, I mean, they might be on the they might be on the hook for Kyler Murray's contract but they also might be able to procure the services of Caleb Williams. I mean, how just like from a theoretical perspective, let's say either the Texans or the Cardinals uh, draws the number one overall pick. What, what would you be doing in the Arizona front office? 
Yeah, the the tricky the tricky thing is, and I have to look at their over the cap situation because you know they they're they're a classic team. I would hope right now would be rolling over cap to next year. So and they are in an okay spot. They have about ten million effective cap space. The the really hard part for them is that Kyler Murray's deal doesn't kick in until next year, and so you know he he's. And, and you know trading him's tough because you you take on all the dead money um and and trade you know so for example if they were to trade him you know uh dead money they do have guaranteed so guaranteed salary would go to the, the to the team that traded him but they still have you know prorated stuff uh that that adds you know up quite a bit um I would probably try to trade out of the pick and and hope that another team takes Caleb Williams and just, you know, go into it with Kyler. I think Ky I have a higher opinion of Kyler than I think more people, most people do. Um, but to me, the issue is like your cap hits over the next four years are 51 million, 45 million, 55 million, 43 million, 46 million, 35 guaranteed salary in 2024 is probably prohibitive to the team that would trade for him. They'd have to do some sort of re reorganizing of that contract. But Kyler still got a decent amount in the way of, you know, bonuses and stuff that may make it hard to trade him. I mean, imagine how good Kyler Murray would be with a real NFL head coach who is really trying. Like I, I was, I was, I, I liked the initiative of hiring Cliff in the first place. Like I was like, okay, I want to see what the air raid looks like in the NFL. I, I, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people, uh, you know, did the the pithy thing of being like this dude couldn't win with Patrick Mahomes at Texas Tech. Like how how good can he possibly be? And it turns out I was wrong and those people were right. So I, I just am very excited to see Kyler Murray divorced from Cliff Kingsbury because that offense, um after like ap after like two years of it, it just became so tough to watch. Like Kyler Murray why why can Kyler Murray not just have the season that Jalen Hurts just had? I, I don't really see any reason why he can't. I think if you're ranking NFC quarterbacks, like pick your take your pick for Dak and Hertz, and then Murray's third. And and in fact, I I would say it's only the this the uh, stretch run of Hertz, specifically the Super Bowl, that would put me like I would maybe buy into Kyler if they were both healthy and and coached well. I'd probably buy into Kyler over over Hertz. Like I I I agree with you 100. percent And I think. Cliff was one of those. It's funny. Cliff was one of those guys. Like their their yards per play the 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 year prior to when Murray and, and Kingsbury got there was like four tenths of a yard worse than any other team in the league. And he got them to like kind of middle of the pack, you know, upper half of the league when he was healthy. But you you could tell that he just didn't have like the in game decision making the 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 counter punch. Like it was always first half of the year great, second half of the year everybody figured him out. Like it's clear that he can get you from zero to seven. He can't get you from seven to ten. Like I and I think that, you know, and not to say that Gannon and, and company can, um, but it, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, you know, can they can they elevate him from kind of a middle of the pack quarterback from a production standpoint to one that kind of mirrors his talent level um, more more closely? And I mean, I think that uh, like there there's way more to do with his ability to scramble and move. I mean, obviously I don't think you want him. Um, you don't want him running like Jalen hurts, like running like a quarterback power and stuff. But I think a more creative guy, uh, although I don't 
I do not know anything about this guy, Drew Petzig. You might, uh, I know he spent time with, with the Browns, which is not, uh, I mean, it's not always the greatest sign to be, to be <laughs> with the Browns. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not, a, I don't have Browns. a ton of data on him. I, I think like the Stefanski offense is, is more friendly to quarterbacks for sure. Um, but, but yeah, I don't have a ton. And, and frankly, like, I think this is a transition year for Murray. I, I would be a surprise if he played more than half the season. Um, and they probably shouldn't want him to, uh, cause you do want to get that draft capital and, and, and hold it out, uh, to, to other teams. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I, I, I certainly think that over time he, his, especially if they handle the money properly, I think Murray's going to be a very, a very valuable commodity for them. Yeah, I definitely agree. All right, let's uh, last thing here. I want to talk about this uh, wide receiver metrics article that you did, looking at um, some of the 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 PFF grades. But also, I I've always wondered this. I'd always wanted to see like a more rigorous um, analysis of Matt Harmon's reception perception. So, talk about some of the conclusions you did from this study on on Sumer Sports. Yeah, and they they did a decent study. I mean, the the, the issue with Harmon's data is that he it doesn't come out like during the season right so right it, it to me i think it was a it was very much a a nod to you know if you actually evaluated receivers running routes um on a play-for-play basis regardless of whether or not they're targeted and you did it in a very smart way you would be able to uncover signal like to me that that's 100 what what we showed in this article like um, you know, a beating man coverage is correlated at a rate of like 0.7, which is better than basically any metric you're ever going to get. Zone is kind of in that 0.4, which is cool because there's signal there and it's signal that's commensurate with a decent uh, number of metrics, it's like better than running back metrics, frankly. But it, it corroborates kind of, I think, a thing that a lot of football people believe, which is that beating man coverage is something that is very fundamental to who you are. And beating zone coverage is a little bit less so. And so um, one of my interns, former interns at PFF, two of them actually, Arjun Menon, who is now has an internship with the Jets, and Judah Fortgang, who I think is working for a sports betting hedge fund now. They, they last year, they looked at, you know, what should defenses do in, 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 with respect to this? And it was always kind of, and you probably appreciate this as a Chiefs fan, I always thought that, you know, you, you can play man coverage against teams you're better than. And it exacerbates how much better you are than they are. But if you play man coverage against a team that's better than you, uh, AKA like the Ravens trying to wink Martindale, the chiefs, you're going to get put on a, on a pan and saute. Right. And that's always what happened. And like zone is what you should play when you're not as good as the other team. And you want to muck up and put variance into the game. And that's exactly what Judah and Arjun found, which, you know, sort of corroborates a lot of this, like, I think the work of Matt and eventually like Brian Burke and, and the ESPN guys with open score, although I have my issues with their metrics, um, you can really help you in matchups because you're going to have some, I think, defensive coordinators that are awake to this. And so they'll muck up situations that are where, where they're at a disadvantage by playing zone. And then you have some that are obstinate, like, you know, Matt Patricia and the gap between your offense and their defense will grow when you play that kind of defensive coordinator. For sure. And I mean, we also have, we've seen how effective the zone can be against teams that are better than you. Uh, I mean, the, the 2022 Kansas city chiefs, or I guess 2021 uh, regular season chiefs offense was uh, there. It was the most frustrated I've ever been watching Mahomes and the chiefs play. I mean, and if I, I definitely have to give credit 
to all the defensive coordinators who did that because I would imagine frustrating Patrick Mahomes. Has, imagine the feeling of being the defensive coordinator who figures out how to frustrate that guy. Like the the Titans game where Mahomes was, uh, it was like I that was like the most that was the most brutal Chiefs offensive game I can ever remember. Like I don't even know the name of the Titans defensive coordinator, but whoever that guy is, he did like a literal. 10 out of 10 good job um i don't know the the two eye safety stuff i i'm wondering your thoughts about this like it it kind of makes the games a little bit less enjoyable to me honestly like it does it like everything being so compact and so close to the line of scrimmage is like a little bit frustrating yeah for sure to me it's um you know it's caused running you know running to be a little bit more efficient um which is exactly what it's trying to do right it's trying to it's trying to entice people to run the ball more draft more running backs you know draft more linebackers uh, it, it, it's also why you know when we look back on the 2022 Kansas City Chiefs i do so with such admiration because you know when i was you know when i was kind of going over their roster going i i was like even if you keep Tyreek Hill you need a you know, a Will Fuller, Valdez Scantling, somebody like that type player, because you're not going to just play a game where, I mean, look, Tyreek Hill got like 180 targets and he's still on a podcast being like, oh, I wasn't thrown to enough. Like you were never going to have a situation where Tyreek would just run the defense off and be content with a game where he got like one or two targets because that was what the, the game gave rise to. And so even if he was still on the team, you needed that field stretcher. And what the even... And once they like kind of reoriented their their offense, they played more man against the Chiefs because they weren't worried about the wide receivers. And then you got more Mahomes scrambles that were plus. You know, if you think about the Titans game where they could not buy a bucket the whole game in 2022, Mahomes scrambles for for the first downs and the two point conversions and all that kind of stuff, the touchdowns. And I think that that was a really good. And then obviously McKinnon became a huge factor in the team. And and I you know I think that that's. That was such a mold-breaking thing that I don't think when when people when people saw the Tyree Kill trade, they're like, oh, what's you know, this admittingly, like this is not going to be great. But what it did it was teams relented a little bit. They took a deep breath and like then, you know, and understandably Mahomes and Reed took advantage of it. And it was so it was so good because to your point, like the two eye defenses, you know, they gave Josh Allen fits. They gave they're giving Herbert somewhat of fit, you know, and and those are teams with with nowhere near the quarterback or the offensive play caller. And it does make the games a little slower and a little more boring. It does. It does for sure. Actually, speaking of McKinnon, um, I mean, should we, should we be a little bit worried that the team is, is uh, counting on him doing this for the third straight year and the end of the season in the postseason at, at 31? I mean, I speak, I mean, like we were just talking about developing third quarterbacks, like developing a pass catching running back uh, might be a good idea for them. Yeah, yeah, because I, I think one thing that, that Chiefs fans and analysts really do have to be careful about is Justin, Jalen Watson, Isaiah Pacheco, some of these late-round picks that really did well as rookies relative to expectation, they're still seventh-round picks. Yeah, and, they might they might just stink this year. Yeah, and, and you know, you catch – like, these guys catch lightning in a bottle all the time. But, the, you know, Dak Prescott had an amazing rookie year and then kind of regressed a lot in year two because he's a fourth round pick and and the prior the, you know these teams are not terrible at evaluating players so if he lasts around seven so i think that the chiefs admittingly are putting too much egg too many eggs in the basket of pacheco and mckinnon and i i i hope that it's more of what happened in 21 where mckinnon's kind of put in a glass box for like 15 16 weeks 
and then they and then they um they they use him a little bit differently uh in the playoffs when they're necessary because yeah last year uh and you could see in the playoffs he kind of ran out of gas a little bit down the stretch and Pacheco, Pacheco um, and got to be understood Pacheco got six targets in the AFC conference championship game because McKinnon didn't have the juice that day yeah exactly and 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 in the Super Bowl like McKinnon we all look at that run that he averaged slid at the one yard line but that's not you know, that it kind of covered up the fact that he wasn't necessarily like as productive as he was in the early part of the season there. And so, you know, that means, does that mean Clyde edwards Delaire gets more carries? I don't know. Um, but, but they certainly have, they certainly have a need. And I, and I, you know, letting Ronald Jones go is kind of an interesting move and, and all that kind of stuff, but, and not drafting really a running back that uh, has any pedigree was interesting as well. So it'll be, it'll be, It'll be curious to see what what um what they do at the position. Well, I got I got two words for you that I don't know if you're gonna want to hear. Leonard Fournette is uh is a if I if I had to guess if I had to guess who is the the third down back week one for the Chiefs my my guess right now is probably a guy who's not on the roster or it's Clyde. Both would be equally surprising, right? A guy uh could be Ezekiel Elliott, could be Leonard Fournette, could be Kareem Hunt back on the team or they could actually just play Clyde Edwards Hilaire, which I mean, see at this point seems insane. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and, and maybe somebody that's cut, I mean, LaShawn McCoy, their Super Bowl year was cut by Buffalo and they picked him up and he was starting week one. So there, there's certainly a, an opportunity for that to occur too. Yeah. Andy, Andy loves to bring in that. I mean, he's done it every year, right? He has brought in a different running back. But yeah. Le'Veon Bell, Ronald Jones. There, there's another one that I'm forgetting. Uh, LaShawn McCoy was there. Uh, Carlos Hyde was on the team for a while and then they ended up cutting him. Um, but yeah, Andy, Andy loves to do that. All right, let's get you out of here. Uh, tell people about the Sumer Sports podcast and uh, everything else that they can find on sumersports.com. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, by the way, this is a lot of fun. I just love chopping uh, football with you. So, um, yeah, Sumer Sports Show, it's it's on YouTube. Um, and then our, our Twitter account is at Sumer Sports. Um, we're going to have some cool stuff on the website, sumersports.com coming this fall. Right now, it's basically about us and content and stuff like that, written content. We're going to have some tools up there this fall, which I think will be great. But yeah, the Sumer Sports Show with myself and Thomas Mitchell. Thomas is on vacation currently, so it's been me and a few other people uh, sort of filling in. But uh, come fall, it'll be two episodes with me and Thomas. And I, I really do enjoy just talking football and, and kind of talking shop with Thomas and uh, and, and pulling from like his experience, which is really fun. So uh, yeah, uh, anywhere uh, you, you uh, use your podcast, uh, the Sumer Sports Show will be there. All right, Sumer Sports Show. Everyone follow Eric on Twitter, and I will be back next week. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 